What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You Podcast. I am your host, Josh Kennedy. If you haven't done so already, please give us a review, give us a subscribe, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you, and it puts us into that elusive algorithm so people can find us, and hopefully the podcast can help more individuals. My guest today is Chapin Cruder. This man has really become a really, really dear friend and some a person that I just really enjoy talking to, enjoy hanging out with, and... You know, he is a really, really big reason why I started this podcast or continue to start this podcast because he was there in the very beginning. I was literally talking to him via email where he was in a faraway place asking him questions on podcasts. And he, we grew up together and we'll go over that a little bit in the, in the beginning, but we really didn't know each other that well. And so we basically were acquaintances at best. This man took his time, energy, and money to help me and answer my questions and walk me through things and you know, creating tutorials for me on some you know, editing processes. And he's just got an amazing, amazing heart. And he's got stories for days because he's tra- traveled the world once, talked to everybody twice. But you know, the cool thing is, is that he's just a real down-to-earth person. He's got a huge heart. He always meets you with a smile and a hug. And, but you know, he's not without of his own mental demons and his own mental negative thoughts. And he goes through that a little bit and he has really good ways that he works through it. And hopefully they'll they'll help you too. But whatever you do, make sure, make sure you you listen all the way to the end and listen to his some of his Nicaragua stories because it is something out of a John Wick Sicario movie. Pretty much high speed chase, guns out, um, computers stolen, thugs, gangsters, all that all that type of stuff and then some so Make sure you listen to the end because his stories are really super, super cool. One day I'll just have an on on again and just have to tell stories. So please welcome my dear friend, my brother, Yeah. You know, I'd get to a point where I would just completely undermine my own success because of my mental talk. Yeah. And even when people would be supportive and be like, no, you did great. Like, I don't know why you're, you think you didn't. I, I didn't believe them. my guest today, Chapin. What's up, man? Hey, how are you, my friend? Not too bad. I think through the few questions or, or uh, conversations we have, I don't think there's a place in the fucking world you haven't been. Africa. I've That's never it? been to Africa, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's probably other places like the Arctics, and uh, sure, there's some Middle Eastern countries that I still haven't gone to, but I've been, to, I've been around. Yeah. I've been around the world a few times. So that's kind of what, what we wanted to talk to you about today. So, But on this podcast here, we really dive into just kind of the thought process of individuals during certain times of their lives. And we just kind of wanted to talk to you today about because you've lived so many places and so many um, interesting, met so many interesting individuals around the world that just want to kind of talk to you on how do you like live abroad? How do you, how does it even come about? Because you said you lived in Nicaragua for like 10 years, solid 10 years. Like 10 years. Mm-hmm. What we always like to do, we like to start on kind of where everybody grew up, kind of get a little background about, about you. So obviously I know you a little bit, but the audience doesn't. So kind of where, where'd you grow up? Um, mom, yeah, dad, I grew up in um, Costa Mesa, California. Uh, mom, dad, little sister. Yeah, and just went to school here and finished up at UCLA. Grew up surfing, playing sports. I mean, I think you were a little younger than me, but, you know, boys club basketball and soccer and all these sports, we kind of yeah. were always crossing paths. And can't say I really enjoyed it here. There's nothing about Southern California that ever made me want to stay here. Um, although it's a beautiful place, and I respect anybody who finds this place to be their their home. 
Right. It just never was a fit for me. So I think from an early age, I fantasized a lot about getting out and, and seeing the world. And my mom used to always joke. I think she was kind of serious, but she's always like, I'd love to take you guys out of school and we could go travel the world for a year if only your dad would, you know, like do that. And yeah. I don't know if she was serious, but that really captured my imagination. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have some very adventurous friends. And to be honest, like I never really had uh, people that I was inspired by that were older than me growing up, like, you know, the classic athlete or something like that, a pro athlete. It was more my friends. Some of the, the kids I grew up with did some really incredible things. Yeah. Um, just got out and like one moved to Hawaii and the other one moved to Costa Rica at 18. And I was already on my track and trying to accomplish a goal I'd set for myself when I was 17, which was be a professional soccer player. And uh, But just seeing them really going after what they wanted and getting out, I knew for a fact that I would someday get out as yeah. well. And that's football for the rest of the uh, universe. Yeah, exactly. The, the um, you know, you said something that, you said it at lunch the other day, and I picked up on it, and then you just said it again. And I think you and I have a similar maybe a similar outlook about where we grew up and you said you just didn't really connect with it. What, what do you mean by that? And then I'll tell you we grew, what I thought. We grew up in a place that, uh, you know, image means a lot to a lot of people here and, and how you look and how you present yourself and how you're perceived your social status is important here. I mean, people can say like, Oh, who cares what people think of you? But like, fuck that dude. Like it does mean something here and yeah. you get, you go places a lot faster if you're perceived as somebody who's cool or, um, you know, it's just it's, your public image is very important in Newport yeah. Beach, Costa Mesa, Southern California, and trying to be something that I wasn't my whole life was just not healthy. And I sent me like through high school, I was super depressed, started going to therapy, which was a savior for me just to have somebody kind of guiding me through this kind of yeah. maze of just not being able to really feel like I could be me. And it wasn't until I hit the road and I visited my friend in Costa Rica and I was around all these people that were just so far out there with their way of thinking, their behavior. Yeah. It felt good. It felt like this is where I belong. Like you a know? like like a weight was lifted. Yeah. And, and I could lighter. just I could just be me. Like and no, they were <sighs> yeah. just they were being them and I could be me. And I was like, this is the how I want to feel. Yeah. And it was it's crazy to think about that now because so I spent eighteen years in a place that I didn't feel like I could be me. And then within a three-week holiday to go visit my friend in Costa Rica. You found it. I found it. Yeah. I'm like, this is the life. And not knowing that it could exist outside of this little bubble that we live in. Yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was a huge, huge weight off my shoulders, like you said, and a, another goal to strive for. Like yeah. once I followed through on this goal I'd set for myself to try to be a professional athlete, I knew exactly where I was going. I was going back to the third world, dude. Yeah. And that's what I did. That's a – I just got chills because that's exactly how – I feel growing up, you know, um, when you don't, when all of our friends are usually the immediate circle is all, you know, they have Ferraris and Bentleys and, and status. And then, you know, your dad or my dad is sitting there, you know, installing carpet and stuff like that. You always feel like less than, and then, then you get into, or at least I got into something like always trying to like posture, be really fucking loud. You know, I was always the life of the party because I, that's the only social currency I had. You know, I didn't have anything else to kind of give because I was so out of place. You know, it was so like blue collar and a white collar fucking world. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it just feels weird. One of the things that I fucking hate when you go, go out in this area is the first or second, at the very minimum, the third question you get is, what do you do? Yeah. I fucking hate that. And it's, and it's, 
everyone knows what it's for. It's there to size you up like, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, okay, maybe you're a good person, but you probably don't make much, make much money. Mm-hmm. You know, or if you say, oh, I'm in finance, you go, oh, okay, maybe I can talk, talk to you a little bit more. I fucking hate it. Mm. I got into this thing where I would just say, I'm a stripper at old folks' homes. And I just wouldn't say anything else. I wouldn't say anything else because then it, if someone laughed at me, oh, that's funny. But if someone would be like really serious about it, I'd be like, mm, I don't, I don't, I'm not really going to fuck with you. Yeah, I mean, it is a question that no matter, I think, where you are culturally, even in places like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, um, people still ask you that. It just, I think it carries a different weight. It's more out of curiosity than it is out of like a social networking status thing where it's yeah. like, oh, you're in finance? Let's talk because I need to get into that realm of business and make more money. Yeah. And where if like I'm in Nicaragua and I say that to a, a campesino individual, he most likely is not going to know what I mean. You know, right. and when he does, when I tell him what he does, he'll be like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah. When I was just down in Mexico, one of the guys at the gym I was going to asked me, um, you know, what do you do? And I, I wasn't going to say my stupid joke, but I was just like, oh, you know, just hang out with friends and, you know, golf and stuff. But he was, you could tell that he was genuinely asking, like, what do I do like in life? Not like, what do I do for to earn money? That was stuff. Cause I asked him the same thing. And that was the same similar answer that he, he uh, said, he's like, we have barbecues on Sunday, family outing after church. What his life, what he does in life, not what he does for vocation. Yeah. Sorry yeah, to well, like, No, it's cool. I just uh, wrapped up an interview um, on Monday with an Australian guy I met in the rice paddies of Vietnam. He calls himself Multi. Really fascinating character. And he ended the podcast with this quote of like, or his perception of how people should live. It's like, imagine your life with financially everything already taken care of. You know, you're paying off your ex-wife, you're paying your child support or whatever it may be. Yeah. Everything's fine. What would you be doing? And once you come up with that answer, go do that. Yeah. And he's like, that's a secret to life. And this guy is so classic. Like, he walks around in, like, female glasses and beautiful gowns. And, like, he has the raddest style. He pulls yeah. it off. He's, like, 6'4", <laughs> really eccentric dude. And, like made a lot of money as like a live model in Australia. Really? <laughs> he just would I saw the thumbnail. I just think Yeah, he would just the, stand there and like it. like let people paint him naked. <laughs> 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 and just just these characters that I meet around the world are so intriguing to me and inspirational. Be warm in there. He's got his dick out. Oh There'd yeah. Be warm in I there. Know. <laughs> and they just somehow make these design these lives that are just magical to yeah. feed off of, learn about and then try to model in a certain way you know that's what i've always been doing right it always interests me when i now that we're a little bit older and you'll be able to be a little bit more real when they have similar outlook because i thought that i was the only one i was like i feel bad for like kind of not liking some of the people here but you know the other thing is i'm not shit on where i live I'm very it's one of the most beautiful places in the world and you do get two very distinct people you get either down to earth some of the best people in the world or you get that kind of um Superficial, superficial sort of. surface type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're about as deep as a puddle type of thing. Cool. So you're we're in high school, going to do soccer. So where do you go after high school? You jump on a team? Did you go to college for it? Just so started? yeah, I had a little bit of I guess you'd call an epiphany. Um, Seventeen years old, partying hard. You know, surfer lifestyle, Thirty Ninth Street, one of the heaviest party streets in Newport Beach. Living on the corner with my dad, so I was in it. Yeah. And soccer had kind of been put on the back burner for many years, and. uh my dad was cool enough to take me and my sister to Europe for a three-week holiday, which gave me time to kind of clear my head and see a side of the world that I hadn't seen before in a way that I hadn't seen it. And I was standing in the Louvre in Paris and just surrounded by so many beautiful works of art 
And I just was overcome by this feeling that it's like, I want to feel this for the rest of my life, this moment. I want to recapture this over and over and over again. Mm. How can I do that? So for me, I associate it because I was in Europe with coming back to Europe. So, okay, I got to okay. get back to Europe. That's and how old are you at this time? 17. 17. And so, okay, what? how can I get back to Europe after high school? And I was you know, I was thinking, like, what could I do? I couldn't work here. I couldn't get a work permit. The only way I could get a work permit is maybe athletics. Soccer came to mind. And so I kind of came back from that trip. And, again, like, I hadn't re- – I played soccer in high school, right. but I wasn't taking it seriously. And literally, like, the day I landed, I started training my ass off with this goal in mind of, like, trying to make it back to Europe as a professional soccer player. Yeah. And so I started – uh, getting on club teams, uh, I didn't have the grades to go to a, a good uni- D1 university, so I went to Orange Coast College, played my club year, my last club year of eligibility since yeah. I was like 19 at this point. Junior college, right? Orange Coast yeah, College. Yeah, Orange Coast college. college, transferred to IVC, did okay. one year of playing soccer there. Um, then I transferred to UC Santa Cruz, D3, played six months there just for the season, and then transferred to UCLA and walked on. Nice. And um, made the team. Wow. So it was really uh, a monumental moment for me because I had been training for that. Like I had set that sure. goal to walk on at UCLA or at least make the UCLA team. And um, so when I made it, yeah, it was a huge, huge goal and milestone in my life and that I accomplished and then spent the next two and a half years there, not really playing much, but still on the team and um, learning a lot and challenging myself. And then we won the national championship in 2002, which was another really special moment in my life. And Jeez. Yeah, then we went, uh, then it all ended. And I had been telling everybody this is what I was going to do. I was going to go to Europe. I was going to try to play pro. Sure. Even though I didn't play in college, really. But I, I was like one of those people that like I don't like saying something and not following through on it. Yeah. Because everybody was always just chirping and like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. I had a buddy who I played with at UCLA. He was playing for Royal Antwerp. He actually got recruited uh, like junior year or something like that and okay. got sent over there. And he invited me to stay at his apartment in Antwerp. And so I landed there with my boots and my backpack and just started cold calling teams. Really? Yeah. D- D1, D2, D3 teams. And like, I think it was actually the first phone call I made. I got a trial, (laughs) 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 which was like, is it really this easy? Yeah. And so like that week they invited me out to a practice and it was D1. It was in Brussels and, uh, or no, it was KV Mechelen. So it's between Antwerp and Brussels. And, uh, I went out and I just, I realized real quick I was out of class. Like I was not even at the caliber level that they were. So went back, spent the rest of the month cold calling. And then finally my buddy's uh, girlfriend was coming and it was a small apartment. He's like, dude, you got to leave. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen my girlfriend in so long. And so I was like, that's cool, dude. I get it. Bed. And so I just grabbed my stuff and I went into Brussels and I spent all day walking around Brussels um, looking for the stadium that I was going to just walk in and see if I could talk to somebody who'd maybe get a trial. Found the stadium. Turns out they're not playing in the stadium anymore. They have a new stadium on the outside of town. So this was like, I remember this day. It was hard. All my gear, walking around, trying to find the stadium. And I walked up as they were finishing practice. And so they're, they're filing back into the locker room, and I'm just standing outside. And one of the – I think the goalkeeper spoke English. He's like, what's up? What are you doing here? I was like, I was going to ask somebody for a tryout. Is there anybody I could talk to? He's like, yeah, the coach is the last guy. Ask him. And I introduced myself, told him what I was trying to do. He's like, yeah, come out Friday. We can play a game with us. And so Jeez. I uh, didn't have anywhere to go, though. 
like my buddies so, like oh you have no place to stay i have no place to stay no and money. like my budget like i'm not paying for hostels really really yeah so i went up oh, to uh dahan on the coast luckily it was like um almost springtime so it was getting a little bit warmer dahan is in it's a city in what what country in um belgium in belgium yeah and so it's on it's on there's these big rolling sand dunes so i went up and i remember i i bought like a six pack of beer and then went into the sand dunes and just like just basically drank myself to sleep <laughs> <laughs> it was super it was actually pretty cold and like i was yeah. kind of scared and like and i slept there for a few days and yeah. then i was like i was like pretty rugged and i was not comfortable and i remember i'd called my buddies to check in to see how he's doing he's like you got to get back here my chicken i've been fighting the whole time ah. she would love to see you yeah so i was like thank god like i got my tryout like in two days i, I really should get some rest and like probably train right <laughs> yeah drink Maybe myself to something? sleep every night yeah, yeah. Right. and uh went back and then i yeah i got the trial and i fucked up like i remember this day like the coach saw me warming up and he was pretty psyched i'm a lefty very natural like everything okay. i do from the left side i do pretty well and he saw me warming up he's like okay he's got a good left foot and this is all being translated to me he's like tell him just to kick the ball onto the strikers you know just right over the defense just just ping it over and over and that's what i want to do the whole yeah. game like an idiot, I was like, oh, I just want to show him I can play. So I, oh, no. you know, they let me start the game at left wing and I was trying to like pass and like. Your being ego got away from you. Yeah, I just, yeah, exactly. My ego. And after they pulled me after the first half and that was it. So when you were training before you took off to Antwerp, what's your schedule like? What are you doing to train? Do you, are you getting. When I wasn't training at UCLA anymore? Yeah. Yeah, I was just on my own. Just I would run every day. I'd do weights. At this point, I had enough of a understanding of how to train that okay. I would just do it all on my own. And then when you go over there and you start cold calling, what's going through your through your mind? Are you just like, I'm like somebody somebody's gonna get me. Somebody, no matter what, some one someone's gonna give me a shot. Are you just like, fuck? Let's see. If I really works. didn't know. Like, and it's like scary for sure. Like I remember like the flight. I'm just like, holy shit! I'm really doing this. Like this is so. Gnarly. That's what I'm. Th that's what I'm. I'm picturing right now. I'm picturing yeah. me in your spot. I'm going over there and I'm like. I don't know. I mean, like every I... call I made was nerve wracking. I mean, trying. So there was a, it's called international soccer server. I don't yeah. know if it still exists. It literally had every single team in the world on this server, all their addresses and all their phone numbers. That's convenient. And so, and you could go by country. So I was, I just picked, clicked on Belgium. What you say when you call them up? <laughs> my, my hey, I'm pretty good. Uh, and my show be like, hey, can I speak to somebody about getting a trial with your club? And usually they don't speak English. And then we exchange like the best we can. Right. And they would either get somebody who spoke English or we would get to the bottom of like, I'm an athlete looking for a tryout. Is there, can I get a tryout? Yeah. And it would be like that, you know? And dude, my stomach was in my throat every single time I made a call. It's like, oh, this is so hard. And like, I was acting not only as the athlete, but as a manager and like maybe an agent if I did get a contract. Like I, I was just, yeah, just trying to make it happen. So yeah, they let they benched me after that. That's gnarly. And then to after do the that. game, the the coach came up. He's like, "Thanks, but no thanks." Yeah. And I just knew at that moment because prior to the game, I was talking to some of the players, and they're all complaining about their contracts and how they weren't getting to play. And like, I just remember thinking, like, this doesn't seem like it's that fun. You know, it's now it's a job yeah. and that camaraderie that I love so much about being a soccer player and an athlete seemed to be gone because everyone's like trying to get one over on the next guy who might be starting. So there's all these shenanigans going on behind the scenes and politics oh, and stuff. people fucking with other people? Just, yeah. Well, yeah. Telling the coach, like, hey, that I think that's or... how it works when you become a professional athlete, you know? Yeah. And it just, I, I knew the second that I didn't make that team that it might, my, my, I was done. Mm-hmm.
And so I went back to my friend's house and I literally, I mean, I've played soccer like a few times since casually, but like I, that was it. I was over it. You kind of have like a distaste for it now? No, I love watching it, but I don't have any the real desire to kick the ball anymore. Or, yeah. You know, I went back to my other passion, which was surfing. I yeah. just kind of flip-flopped between those two. From that spot there, you kind of um, kind of realize that, you know, it's not going to go your kind of way. Mm-hmm. So kind of jumping forward, or what brings you to Nicaragua? Because right. I'm super excited to hear yeah, about of course. what brought you there. So just, yeah, real quick to brush over the, the year that followed. So my buddy... John moved to uh, Costa Rica when we were 18. That's who I visited, who kind of gave me the first taste of the third world that I fell in love with. Okay. And so he'd also stayed a year in Costa Rica. And being the competitor that I was, and he's my best friend, like I felt like I had to like prove myself and be gone a year as well. Right. And so I'd already done three months in Europe. And my budget, I went with three grand. I landed with three grand. And I'd already spent 1500 bucks of it the oh. first three months. And uh, so after the... Coach told me that I wasn't going to be on the team. I started hitchhiking down south, went through Italy, Greece, and, like, burning my budget. Like, even though I was sleeping on the street a lot and, like, not spending much money, like, it's still, like, I was burning more money than I wanted to. Sure. So, and I was lonely. I mean, there's a, we could go super deep on this, dude. Like, overcoming yourself, like, overcoming you. Like, there's a lot of demons I didn't know I had in me that were coming up throughout this exposure to the world. And, yeah. like people and insecurities and like thinking I was this person and then finding out very quickly I wasn't you know I thought I'd be that lone wanderer cruising around Europe bumming around yeah. riding the rails you know like whatever <laughs> it may be and it's like no like I was tremendously lonely yeah I didn't fit in anywhere because I wasn't staying in hostels nobody's sleeping on the street and like fucking the Cinque Terre you know, I'm sleeping, like, in the train tunnel. Jeez. And it's just like, this fucking sucks. Like, this is not fun. Did you ever see that movie, um, Pursuit of Happiness? No. Oh. There's a part where, it's based on the two stories, Will Smith is in it, and he gets kicked out of his apartment, he's got his little son, and anyway, they they come to, he plays a game to trick his kid, and they end up sleeping in the uh, bathroom of a subway, and his kid falls asleep, and, you know, he's holding the door closed, and he just has this overwhelming sadness and probably i don't know not feeling so good about himself and stuff what's going through your head when you're sleeping on the streets and in just extreme loneliness dude like are you just like fuck i gotta find a place to sleep i don't know what else to do well it's cool like i mean i met a girl that was like down to do it with me for like the italian portion of it a few nights in the italian portion like and i was green like i didn't know what i was doing but she kind of understood the the game yeah so she's like all right follow me and we jumped and she like jumps into a dumpster and she pulls out all this cardboard She's like, this is what we're going to sleep on. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. That makes sense. Like, that's why homeless people use cardboard because it's a great insulator, you know? Yeah. And then oh, uh, she's like, for, like comfort. Oh, that makes well, sense. it's both. Yeah. It keeps you super warm on off the ground, you yeah. know? And it's, it's kind of soft, actually. You can get very comfortable on cardboard, especially if you layer <laughs> it. And then, uh, and then food-wise, I think we pulled a little bit of money and got a box of wine and a loaf of bread. And then we just curled up next to each other in this little, like, abandoned train tunnel yeah. and passed out. Can I just say, I, I know that you and I are, are cut from a similar cloth because you would have done, I've done, I would have done the exact same thing that you did. Grab a six pack, <laughs> went to sleep in the, in the beach, and then grabbed a box of wine and some Franzia, like $1.50 stuff, 
just to like ah, oh, just to escape or just like ah, oh, I can't deal with that shit. You do become familiar with the activities of homeless people when you are living in a similar situation. Like I've never been homeless because I've always had an out. I had a family that would have sent me mm -hmm. money in a second, loved me. I could always get out and home. But like I will say, I do know the insecurities a homeless person feels when they don't know where they're going to sleep at night, safety issues, and like the reason that all homeless people sleep in parks during the daytime is because it's warm and comfortable yeah. and at nighttime it's not and you're always watching your shit and you're watching your back and there's always some fucker fucking with you yep. trying to steal your shit or fuck with you and it's like not comfy yeah so like the alcohol usually at least numbs you enough to kind of keep you in this twilight to at least get to daylight that then you can wander to a park where parks usually open pretty early right. for joggers and stuff where you can like curl up under a tree or in the sun and, and get a good day's rest yeah. before you have another night to deal with so I have I have that real estate company. I do fix and flips, all that type of stuff in wholesale. And each time we sell a house, ten percent of the profits, we put together these bags, homeless bags, the stuff they really need though, not just food. You know, band aids and and towels and socks and you know all all the top like ten things. So, you know, we hand hand them out and we go up there to Skid Row. And every time I talk to those individuals, <clears throat> the number one compliment I get is not about the stupid bag or about all that type of stuff. They'll, they'll say, you know, thank you just for, like, talking to me normal. They just want to just have normal relationships and just be seen totally. as, like, a human being. Yeah. And so I wear this shirt every time that says free hugs and uh, get them from all the um, – yeah, you can see how the mental struggle that that is, regardless of the physical things that you have to go through. That... Yeah, you're labeled, like, standing on the side of the road in yeah. Italy trying to hitchhike, like, even though I would get picked up, like – People pass you and they look at you like you're just a Daryl and like derelict and like yeah. you know you're nobody and like and that just pierces you if if you I've I've never been exposed to it and like I said like there was a lot of things that I had no idea would come out within me insecurities fears that I always projected myself as being somebody like this like kind yeah. of John Wayne type of person when it's like no dude I was, I was, I'm a super sensitive human being you know yeah <laughs> and it was hard super hard yeah. So fast forward to get to the Nicaragua, sorry. No worries. Um, I, I called my same buddy who lived in Costa Rica. I'm like, this this sucks, dude. I want to do it with somebody. I'm going to be gone a year. Would you drop everything and come join me? He's like, give me two weeks. I'll be there. No way. Yeah. So he landed with 2500 bucks and met me in Copenhagen. Okay. And I had 1500 And we spent the next nine months like making our way to Asia. Like We went up through Russia, Mongolia, China, uh, Tibet, Nepal, India. And made our way to Indonesia, where I kind of just like finally cracked. Like I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go home. Okay. And so I left him on an island with this chick in Indonesia, just like so fucking burnt out, really? like, ready to go. Lost thirty pounds. Like, and and how old are you at this time? I was twenty three. Twenty three. Mm -hmm. And how? Go, never... No, I was twenty four at this time. I'd done all twenty three to twenty four on the road. What made you not like call mom and dad or and like? Hey, can you wire me Western Union me some money? Stubborn, just, what, just wanted to do it, to yeah. see what it was like, you know, and and accomplish. I'd you. say it's like setting a goal. Like him and I were feeding off each other. We we had a criteria. It's like we don't pay. Well, number one, we we will not pay for places to stay. Okay. We will buy m the minimum amount of food to survive, and we will go as long and as far as we can with with that sort of like foundation yeah and like hitchhiking was going to be the primary mode of transportation when we when we got to russia it became difficult because we only had two weeks in russia they only gave us a, a two-week visa okay so we and they had they made us buy a train ticket so we had to buy a train ticket like trans-siberian 
from uh, Moscow to uh, Mongolia. So like things like that. And then when we got to India, it's like, you know, there's three of us to this point traveling together. And we'd pool our money to get little hotel rooms or like get a train ticket or something like that. Yeah. And or three train tickets. And that's kind of how it went for the rest of the time until I was just like literally so over it. Cause it's like for all these listeners, like, oh, that's so cool. It's such a romantic story. Like it's fucking miserable. Like really? 90% of this is like so hard and miserable. And like, in the sense, it's just like we were talking about with the homeless thing. It's like you're always insecure about where you're going to sleep. Yeah, Food is an issue like because we were just living on so little. We'd eat one little like salad a day that we'd, uh, we'd make from the veggies at the fruit markets and veg markets that we'd find. Yeah, And like, yes, I was seeing a lot of things and I was meeting interesting people, but just the lifestyle itself was taking its toll yeah. on me mentally and physically. And then, yeah, I got to Indo. And like, and you're going through countries where, like, not everyone's cool. Like, I genuinely think the world is a very cool place with a lot of cool people. Yeah. But like, there are cultures that are abrasive that when you come from our culture and you're in there, it's just like night and day. And there was a normal way of speaking to you or acting towards you is yeah. like they're in your space. Like in Mongolia, like, it's nomadic. There is no such thing as personal space. Like, Oh, so they'll walk up to you if you're reading a book. They'll just take the book out of your hand and like investigate it. Like, what is this? Like, what are you what are you doing? And not not to mention that like Mongolian being like, or Mongolia being Mongolian like Chinggis Khan, Genghis Khan, like yeah. that whole lineage still exists. Like these people are violent, <laughs> and I don't mean to generalize the whole population, but it is a culture of like they are down to fight at any moment. Yeah. I saw more beatdowns like between male on male, female on female, and then like domestic violence than yeah. I've ever seen in my whole life. You know, that's always funny. You never hear about <clears throat> Genghis Khan or like no one ever gives him a bad rap. You know, like everyone's like, yeah, he's kind of a bad dude. But if you say, like if I say, wow, you're kind of, you're you're like Genghis Khan, people would be like, yeah, whatever. But if I said, dude, you're like fucking Hitler. People are like, whoa, 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 relax, yeah. man, yeah. relax. Yeah. yeah, no, Genghis Khan accomplished uh, a lot of territory. Like he took over a lot, a lot of territory and too. did some like gnarly shit. And then like, like it's it's in their blood, yeah. dude. Like they like it. They like to fight, dude. So overall, I was gonna. I was thinking about. I was gonna ask. Um, this is gonna sound racist as fuck, but um, do you think being white during all the travel part that you just described, all that, think it was an overall benefit, or do you think it mattered whatsoever? Um, I know you had a couple of issues there, which I get. Well, you are. Hopefully. You're. You basically when you leave America. And, and excluding, say, um, you know, Canada, Europe, maybe a few South American countries, like any time you wander into the third world, you are perceived as a dollar sign. Your skin color, color doesn't really matter too much because even if you're, <clears throat> you're a person of color, they can tell you're a westernized person. So you're a dollar sign. Uh -huh. So that's where that might come in, where you do feel like you're treated differently. Like everyone's hitting you up for money. Everyone's trying to rip you off. Yeah, OK, when we would get fucked with by the cops. Like, they just want to bribe. They're not really going to try to take you to jail. And if they do, it's only just for, like, a posturing sort of thing. Like, right. and, and it makes sense because, like, all those people there, like, they don't have any money to leave. Like, you got there somehow, mm -hmm. so you have more money than they do. Mm -hmm. They were born in that little town of whatever, and they don't have any money to leave. So they know that you have some money, yeah. at least or at least they think you do. Yeah, I had uh, I interviewed recently for my podcast these really cool ladies um, who do a podcast in Asia called Chronicles Abroad. Yeah. What's your po podcast called again? Theirs. Yours? Oh, Misfits and Rejects. There. So yeah, Misfits. So yeah. <laughs> um, so they came on Misfits and Rejects, and they're two women of color, and they're talking about how nice it is to live in Thailand because they can motor scooter around without worrying about the cops. 
And I just was struck by that because I get so fucked with by the cops in Thailand. Really? Just because, again, the color of my skin, they see dollar yeah. signs. So they're pulling me over, making some sort of claim of like some law that I've broken that they need to be paid for. Yeah. Where for them, like they don't get bothered at all, which I thought was a really interesting sort of, you know, yeah. um, experience. Yeah. It's odd. I didn't get fucked with that at all when I was in Thailand. But I was with, well, my now wife at the mm-hmm. time. Maybe that was like, mm-hmm. you know, fuck with the couples. I don't know. Well, I think, too, just, I was in Chiang Mai for three months, oh, and I was on a scooter, yeah. and, like, no, you start totally. learning where all the checkpoints are, and, like... Got it. Um, so that was interesting. But then, yeah, so we did a whole year together. I finally broke uh, in, in Indo. I left him there. He stayed for another three years. Yeah. And I, I came back to California. I valeted for nine months. chick must have been hot for him to stay there for another three she years. She was beautiful. Really <laughs> cool. Actually, they broke up right after I left, and she went back to Sweden. Um, oh, Sweden's tricks are hot. Yeah. I came back to Cali. I did nine months with family valeting at the Balbo Bay Club. Mm-hmm. And then I bumped into an old friend I hadn't seen in seven years who went to Newport with us. Okay. And um, he was just married a Nicaraguan woman. He had bought a house on the beach in this small little fishing village and uh, was starting a surf camp. And I was like, sign me up, dude. I'll come right, right now. I'll quit my job tomorrow. He's like, no, we don't really need your help. Uh-huh. I was like, well, if you ever do. And then two months later, I got an email, and he's like, can you be here in two weeks? I need a, an extra boat captain to help me with the start of my surf camp. And so I was like, yeah, I quit my job, flew down there, and uh, never left, basically. And so you were back here for a total of how much? How Nine months? months. So I Nine came months? back in 2004. Okay. I got back February of 2004 after a year, doing that year abroad. Yeah. And then did nine months of parking cars, and so um, I landed in Nicaragua like February of, so it was almost a year, Yeah. like January, February of 2005. During that whole time, were you just itching? No, I was happy to be home, dude. Like, I remember the feeling of, uh, I remember the feeling of having a bed to sleep in was so overwhelming. Yeah. I remember the feeling of having a roof over my head where I knew I wasn't going to be wet sleeping. Yeah. I also remember the feeling of having a refrigerator that I could walk down to that was packed full of food. Was the mo- those are three feelings yeah. were the most incredible feelings, and they've never left. Like I've never lost appreciation for having a bed, a roof, and a, right. a fridge full of food. Like that castaway part at the end <laughs> where he's flipping on the switch on. Yeah, and on. <laughs> it's crazy. Like because we did it, we it just turned into almost like I think a sickness, a mental sickness that we were so obsessed with penny pinching throughout yeah. the whole year, um, and became a game that was I think probably unhealthy at times to see like how long we go without food and like, eh, yeah. you know, it's like how long we can go without getting a place to stay. And, um, and we were feeding off each other. Who's tougher. Cause he's super alpha. Oh. And so it was just so nice to not have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I bet. And I was really appreciative. So to answer your question, you know, like being home, I was so appreciative to be home around my loved ones and yeah. just kind of getting indoctrinated back into society, repatriating myself. But really quickly realizing because of where we come from, like no one asked me one question about my adventure. Bullshit. Not one. I I saw every single friend I hadn't seen in quite quite a few years, some of them, because I'd been at UCLA doing my soccer thing. No one asked me what I'd been doing. Like everyone was just straight straight into like what they're doing, what their life is like. And it's always been like that. I'll come back here. Like I just came back after seven months of being in Asia. Yeah. And like, aside from my family and like one or two close friends, like no one ever asked me what I've been doing. That's all I want to ask you about <laughs> <laughs> because it's so interesting to me. Yeah. 
That's fucking crazy. So the, what what made you want to take off to Nicaragua? Just the just the surf thing and surf? um yeah, the adventure. Like so nine months here, like and what do I just described, like coming back to a place that I never felt like I fit into and then encountering the same kind of things that I never really liked about this place. And it's I mean, it was very obvious after nine months that like I would yeah. rather be somewhere else and this opportunity came up, so I jumped on it and then I mean th- this opportunity was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like finding myself in a fishing village of less than 500 local Nicaraguan fishing village. We were four gringos, the only four gringos who lived in this fishing village. Really? And, and my partner who bought the land there was the first gringo to ever live in this village, like live full time. Like were other, they welcoming? Yeah. Super cool. Like oh, the that's town, good. the town was super chill. Like <clears throat> they kind of just let us do our thing. We did, they did their thing. And like, like we didn't really start having problems like with thievery until like I'd say after like year two. Yeah. You know, the young kids that now were of age fourteen had been around us long enough to see that we had people coming and there we had obviously money and they were I mean, Nicaragua's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere behind Haiti. Is it really? Yeah. So like a lot of these people that were surrounded by locals, like some of these people live in like their walls are plastic, you know, with the plastic roof that they've just bought from the hardware store. It's like Real Whoa. poor, dude. So there's only 500 people. Are the waves just like completely like amazing there? You have, yeah, like, it was uh, amazing. Competitions there is people like surf that recently. Spot out. Like the ISA started taking some international competitions down there. But like, I was lucky enough to be a part of something that I'll probably never get to be a part of again. Um, where it was like we were. I'm not. You can never say you're the first, right? But for the surf culture as it slowly started infiltrating Nicaragua over the years, like I got there, I'd say two years before like the floodgates opened. So to get a feel for that and what's that like to give you some perspective. So it's like what turned into be some of my closest friends for life, my three business partners that were there, me, and then bring some friends down to help with the, some like boat captaining stuff over those, that two year period to having and having a boat so a house on the beach, a boat, a car, friends, and no tourist, and waves that are like world class, and a boat access. Like I was, it was a buffet of waves and nobody around. Oh, every day. Yeah, like I was getting thirty waves a day or thirty waves a session. I was surfing on average six hours a day with my closest friends, just hooting, hollering, singing, laughing. Like this is, like I. I can honestly say that I knew what I had and I appreciated every single second of it. Yeah. I never took it for granted. I'm like, this is the best life I could have ever imagined for myself. I, I didn't know this goes without saying. I'm sure you've already come to this conclusion, but I just, I love the fact that, you know, I really, as I'm starting to get older in age, I really, really do honestly believe that life happens for us, not to us. Because if you didn't go through all that bullshit that we just talked about, I don't think you would have respected it. I think there's a possibility you might not have respected to the level of the depth that you did all there, but you needed to figure out all that type of stuff to realize that, Hey, this small little place, I'm not sleeping on cardboard. I I have a can of beer, not a box of wine. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to do anything. I'm not penny pinching, you know, maybe as, as much as you were. It was the life. I think, but yeah, tying into, you know, your theme overcoming you, like, again, I was super challenged. Like there was things in me that I, and insecurities I didn't realize were there. Like I, I didn't grow up in a family where, like, I, my dad didn't. My dad was a broke stockbroker. Right? He traded commodities. Like, he wasn't the guy like with uh, using hand saws and like building shit. So, like, yeah. we were living in a place where we had to be active participants in our own survival, if you will. Like, I had to go to the well every day. It took me five hours with the 
water with a truck and like a what we call a pila, where we fill it up with our, our water pump. And I drive it back and just doing round trips. Take me five hours to fill up our water storage unit, you know? What's then, a pila? Like what's it? So is it just like a jug or is it like it's a like big... a, it's on wheels. It's probably like a thousand gallons or something like that that you pull behind your truck. And okay. then you, you drive it to the the well. I'd take the pump, the gas powered pump with me, and I'd feed one tube into the well, one tube into our pila. Yeah. Fill it up with a thousand gallons. And then like drive it back. <laughs> you have to filter that at all, or is it just is it well water? It's pretty clean. Yeah. We weren't drinking it, but we were showering with it and flushing oh. toilets oh, with it. You know. Oh fuck! I didn't even think about. And that. then you gravity feed that up into like a tower on the property that then gravity feeds all the showers and toilets. I'm thinking just fucking drinking. I'm not even thinking. Oh, about no. Not even going. We had all we, that we had stuff. to get like five gallon jugs uh, from the local, like not the local grocery store because that was an hour away. Yeah. But like, I mean, it was. So I, I'm encountering things like my partners who are more skilled at building shit than me, like asking me to do things. I didn't really know how to do them. My Spanish at this point was not really existent. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, they would just like leave me out there because they had to go run errands. And they're like, just watch this place and like kind of do these kind of things. And like they get back and like, why hasn't that been done? I'm like, well, I didn't really know how to do it. And like as a man, right. you're like just really hit some chords. Like, dude, I'm like kind of incapable, <laughs> you yeah. know, or not incapable, but like not. I just didn't know what to do. Yeah. So and they could you... see that. And this is where it got really cool. And I don't know how you feel about this. I think we should talk about, it, though. It's like growing up and how we grew up, like it was something that you always like if somebody was super psyched on something, say at Ensign, they came to school that day and they're super psyched about something they did. Maybe an accomplishment. Maybe just got barreled as a surfer. Right. You'd instantly cut them down. I'd instantly cut them down and make a joke about like, oh, what you fucking you think you got really good barrel like. And that was how I always grew up. Just like if someone's psyched, you cut them down. Yeah, you bring them back. You bring them back down to a level that like makes them feel less than right. <laughs> and you did it in a joking way, so you can always be like, "Oh, I was joking," but really, like it always stung. People yeah. did it to me; I did it to them, and that's how. And being in Nicaragua, and I'm 25 years old, oh, and wow. having my peers be super cool and like supportive, and like take me by the hand, and like if I did something great tons of encouragement if i didn't know how to do something my my partner who's a mentor to this day like he's yeah. just a beautiful human being would show me how to do it and just like be super respectful of my lack of knowledge on how to do these things and like okay well here's how you use like a handsaw and like here's how you chalk a line and like and I, it really struck me like i've never been surrounded by people like this sure you know I, did you feel like that growing up in newport yeah i i was always the the opposite this is gonna sound like i'm pat myself on the back i always wanted to praise everybody because i just wanted to give everybody compliments um, because i thought that was the way to kind of get friends and people like you but at the same time i would use the humor you know off-putting humor and stuff like that and self-deprecating and Mm -hmm. and then so that was striking i to and to feel it like it was genuine and they weren't then going back and talking shit behind my back because i couldn't do these things yeah and so those first few weird, first few years, like were again a really big growth period for me. Just to have that support, loving support from my peers, really gave me a lot more confidence in myself. And like, and I, you know, I, I felt like I accomplished a lot in my life, but still, like there was things that like I was super insecure about. You know, yeah. that I didn't know I was insecure about. And that's what I think is great about traveling, and especially exposing yourself to places where you have to really participate in your own daily kind of survival, getting water, right. building shelters and stuff like this you're exposed really quick at what you're good at and what you're not yeah so like on those like the saw and the chalk and stuff like that you first start start to do it 
you think in your head, I'm guessing, but you think in your head like, fuck, I really suck at this, or like, shit, I, 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 I'm not contributing. I'm not, you know, they're they're gonna think less of me. How long before that those thoughts like don't happen anymore? Years, years, years. And it, is it years from a combination of having some awesome people around you and actually going through and proving to yourself? Yeah, for me you, it was. You did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that reinforcement of peers. Because I mean, you have to imagine like I I have tremendous amounts of negative self talk too. Yeah. So that if you have peers who are also negative towards you, then that just amplifies on itself and is just a, a spiral that is hard to get out from under of. So yeah. it, when I had these peers around me who were like super positive, I still had the negative self-talk like, oh, you should be better at this. Oh, you suck yeah. at this. So it, it took years for me to then start accepting that praise right. without me like talking to myself like, oh, they don't really know what they're talking about because I fucking suck. Right. You know? See, I think that is... That is the mind fuck amongst mind fucks because it, it and we all go through it. But just what, what you said, so you're in Nicaragua, you got some of the best waves in the world, you got your own boat, you're in a small little community, basically living your best life, your your fucking dream, and it starts off like that, and then all of a sudden that little fucker in the back of your head and the back of our all of our minds go, oh. Everything's going good, but let me focus on this one little thing and then really fuck with you mm-hmm. and like, oh, you're not good enough when mm-hmm. everything else is going fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Everything else, we got this one little thing. I'm sure there's some other stuff, but just in this in this example, you have this one little thing that, that maybe you don't know how to do and you just beat yourself down, down to it. And it's so fucking crazy because when you surround yourself with awesome people, they don't think like that. They go, oh, okay, yeah, you know it, I'm not going to kick the uh, little baby over just because, mm-hmm. ah, you try to walk once, I ah, fucking dumbass. Never yeah. to walk, you know? Yeah. It's it was so a tre- crazy. It was, and it was a tremendous shift. I mean, and with hindsight, it's like you can really see that I was constantly always undermining my own success. And in situations where I could have really been successful within the soccer even, yeah, you know, I'd get to a point where I would just completely undermine my own success because of my mental talk. Yeah, and even when people would be supportive and be like, "No, you did great," like I don't know why you're you think you didn't. I I didn't believe them. <laughs> you know, I was like, "They're full of shit." I don't they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know? and it, now it's like with enough time and training because I I am introspective and I do try to like work hard on my internal stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, it it's hard. It takes a long time to make that shift. And I'm yes. better at it now is the point. Like, I'm way better at it. Yeah. I'll catch myself real quick because I still have it. Like, I still have negative thoughts and negative talk. Right. But I'm way better at catching it and just letting it go. How do, you, how do you catch it? Is there something, like, if you're going to give some things that you do to catch that, because mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the first thing is to, like, recognize when those things happen. Mm-hmm. Like, have you learned or is it just because you've been through these things that you kind of see it quicker than I you learned, used to? I learned, actually. No, I learned, age? yeah. Um I learned through um, reading the book, The Power of Now. Oh, and, uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, yeah. Great book. And uh, that's when I really started being able to separate the mind chatter with the conscious presence of yeah. being the observer of the mind chatter. So for all of us, you're in the shower in the morning or in the evening when you take your showers or baths or whatever, and you have that sort of autopilot sort of thought process that's just going through the day or going through the routine or whatever it is. Like my morning showers, because I used to take morning showers, my autopilot is fucking negative, dude. Yeah. Super negative. Playing out past relationships that I haven't been with these girls in years. 
but just it, and I'm not even. Why did I do that? It was so stupid. Like those that or just like oh, you know fuck her dude. for doing that. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like, like I haven't talked ago. to this person in <laughs> seven years, and I'm still having this kind of like commentary going on oh. in my brain to where it's like, and it's on autopilot. Like it's like just an answering machine that goes on when I wake up in the morning yeah, and uh, and starts its chatter. And so I'll be in the shower and I'll just be like, whoa, I'll catch myself. That's super negative. Like, why why are you talking? Why is that going on? Yeah, and I'll just take a deep breath and I'll focus on the color of the, the bottle of shampoo. It's like blue or white. I'll be like, okay, blue. And it's all I'm thinking about is just the color blue. Yeah, And I'll let that stillness kind of settle in. And I'm super aware and I'm feeling for when that, that next thought is about to come up. And if it comes up, and it's negative again, I'm blue. I just go back to like center, yeah. you know, presence. Like I'm right here in a shower. Like there's no point in going back seven years and, yep. and beating myself up or talking shit on somebody who I haven't spoken to, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting, because I read, I read that in 2013. Okay. And uh, changed my life. Yeah. And I've been practicing that ever since. So you and I do something extremely similar. My wife read that book and i I haven't re read that book, but I do something very similar to your shampoo color blue. So by far the biggest thing that has helped me, period, end of story, is morning meditation. So I've done it off and on for years, you know, but it was really all it was all trying to be visualization to be like, okay, I'm going to have this jet. I'm going to have this color Ferrari. I'm going to be very specific, mm -hmm. all that type of stuff, which is there's a time and a spot for that, but that's not what I do now. Every single morning, without fail, the first thing that I do, and I do not miss a day. That's the one thing that I will say. I do not miss a day. And I have it written down and stuff like that. I don't really care how many days, but I have it down how many minutes. Even sometimes it's just one minute, but nonetheless. So to your color blue, I just sit there and try to close my eyes and literally just think of my breath going in and going out wherever the, the – Breath comes either, you know, when you breathe in, sometimes your chest comes out, sometimes you breathe really in and your stomach comes out and just try to think of that thing come out and come in. And then inevitably 10 seconds, a thought will come in and then I got to stop. Then I got to think about my chest, literally picture the chest or sometimes I go one as my breathe in, do that little pause that Eckhart Tolle mm -hmm. talks about, the little pause in between the breath <clears throat> and then two, breathe out. And I think when you do those, those types of, I don't think I know when you do those types of things and it's different for everybody for you. It's a shampoo bottle for me. It's the breath for my wife. It's when she goes to the beach every morning and just looks at the wave. It calms everything down in the brain and lets you see the thoughts more often. And the more you do that, the easier it is. And what I talk about with other people is like, it's kind of like a, like a, you're in the gym doing a, a weight. You know, we all start with one pound and then slowly it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you can stop it sooner, stop it sooner. Mm -hmm. So fucking vital. Mm -hmm. Such a massive life enhancement to be able to notice the thoughts first and then go, what the fuck are you doing, Josh? What the fuck are you doing, Chapin? Mm -hmm. Seven years ago, that chick or that dude probably doesn't mm -hmm. fucking think about you six times a decade. Yeah. You know? It's so crucial. That's so, so huge. Yeah, creating that space, that little gap yeah. we just talked about between your thought and then, I mean, a lot of people argue like you, consciousness, spirit, or whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah. there, you can create that gap. And the wider it gets, the better off you are. But like, for yep. me, like, I'm so addicted to my thoughts. Like, I, I could lay thought in bed addict. and just stare at the wall and let my mind go for hours. Yeah. And it's like, it's like watching porn, dude. Yeah. Like, I just get off on it because it's just so. 
fulfilling in a weird way, which it's not because it's unhealthy. And it's so, never ending. It's never ending. It's, it's just, never ending. Yeah, it's just this vicious cycle. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting road. And I mean, it's gonna be a lifelong practice, you right? Know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, we may not be where we want to be, but thank God or whoever you think we're not where we used to be. Yeah, That's yeah, and sure. just being where we are right now, like right now, having this conversation yeah. is the only place we need to be. Yeah, cheers, man. Cheers, dude. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Brought to you by Tequila. This episode. <laughs> You're in Nicaragua. You're in an amazing spot. You got the waves. You got the boat. Five hundred small little community. Kind of feeling shitty about not having to um, know how to do anything, but you got these awesome. You got a great support group around you. Start to feel good. A couple years in. Um, to it, so now you're how old about? So say like 27. 27 or so? Like all pistons are firing at full confidence. Yeah. You know, like as from like a holistic perspective. Yeah. You know, like I feel like at for the first time in my life, like social status-wise, I'm somebody, mm-hmm. you know, because again, I'm a big fish in a small pond. I'm a, you know, lead surf guide at a little surf resort. Um being noticed by girls that are now tourist girls coming in like oh that's you know that's so and so oh yeah yeah and uh it was it was the first time again coming to a place where i was like whoa like this is this is really this feels really good yeah um definitely some ego involved there as well it was just that five-year period from 25 to 30 was just the best time ever yeah you know like when i'm 17 in paris when i decided to take responsibility for my life and start going after setting goals and going after them. Mm-hmm. My life changed and got better, and it got progressively better every single year to the point I was like tripping, like life can't get any better, and it would every year, every year, every year, all the way up until thirty. My life was just like getting better every single year. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, um, I mean, we're in Nicaragua for five years as partners, and year five comes around, and like two of the partners were a couple male, female couple who wanted to go home and have children. Like, they were just kind of over it. Yeah. You know, I'm really surfed, and, like, the whole, like, party on the beach scene was getting old, and they just were like, we're kind of over it. We want to go back to the States. And then the the original founding partner, the guy who brought all of us there, the investment guy, he left after the first year. He's oh, like, really? I'm going to grad school. You guys take the business, pay me back my investment, and, like, have fun. Nice. And so we were trying to pay him back his investment and uh, not doing a great job of it. He wasn't tripping, but he's like, listen, I want to get my money out of this. Um, they want out. Chapin, do you want to buy us out? And I was like, well, I'm only really, like, I love it here, but I love it here because of you guys. Like, you're yeah. my family, and I love you guys, and I wouldn't want to do it without you. I wouldn't want to try to recreate what we've created up until this point. And now it's like, this is a full, like, New York Times has been doing articles every year on Nicaragua. Like, all the lineups are packed full of people. There's tons of surf camps now. Uh, like, my love of, like, what I was doing was turning more into a grind mm. and I didn't ever know it could have happened, but it's like, even though you love what you do, it will eventually turn into work. Yeah. And, uh, that's what had started happening. So I was like, I'm kind of, I don't want to do it. Like kinda let's, it. let's sell it. And just by grace of God or whatever, like this kid walks into town <laughs> flush with cash, just came from Iraq trying to move some money around. And start a life for himself in the third world. Was and he? I, I. He's an American. Oh, it, oh okay. in the military. He was a co- private contractor. Oh, okay. And he's like, "I'll buy it." Yeah. And we're like, "All right." <laughs> and we sold it to him. Really? Like within six months, it was like done, deal done. Crazy. 
like just the turn of events like that's insane but again like i think an example of it was probably the right time yeah you know because people because so he's had it he had it until last year i've kept in touch i still run my businesses out of nicaragua and do camps and stuff but he's had it until last year and had it like he's been trying to sell for five years you know and like he's still trying to sell it no he just sold it last year oh he did but it's like it's been a hard road for him you know yeah trying to sell it and uh so just i think we did the right time everything flowed naturally it was the right thing to do and then i spent the next five years of my life from 30 to 35 trying to recreate 25 to 30 oh chasing the dragon chasing the dragon dude yeah and uh, i had a conversation with a friend about this yesterday which was i'm looking so forward to my 40s like my 30s are fine yeah but like yeah 30 to 35 i've i spent trying to recreate something that was never going to come back you know yeah. um so i'm not gonna say it was a waste of time but like i was chasing my tail Right. Um, and then 35 to 40, this last five years, I've been trying to develop my online business skills and my podcast has been growing and I'm trying to yeah. uh, figure out how to make you know money online and be location independent. And just the learning curve for that has been intense. So like, I feel like 40, 40s, I think I, or I hope I'll reap some of the benefits right. that, uh, from all the effort I've been putting in the last five years. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, I mean, Nicaragua, it's, it's still a special place in my heart and I would be there right now like, doing my thing if i could figure out how to make some money i don't know if the audience knows much about the politics but about 11 months ago the government uh tried to take five five percent of the social security away from the people oh and the people rose up and it just turned into a shit show real quick and like within 24 hours like my business dried up like all my surf retreats got canceled and like people just scared everyone got scared yeah yeah and tourism what what uh, currency did they use down there the cordoba God bless you. What? Yeah, the Cordoba. He's a, he was like an old famous, I think, Spanish general, oh. or he's a general. Cordoba is. What's like the C O R B A or no D B A or something like that. Cordoba. <laughs> like uh, what's what's? Do you remember at the at when the I time la- what the rate was or whatever? Yeah, I was like, I think when I left it was like twenty seven to the dollar. Twenty seven. When I when I got there in two thousand five, I think it was like sixteen or seventeen to the dollar. Okay. But I love the country. I love the people. Uh, it has everything I want pretty much yeah. in life. It's just, it's just, I can't make a living right now. Right. So. Have you ever tried I, stripping? Uh, <laughs> no, not officially. Don't, don't start here. <laughs> don't start here. I love the, me- the mental side of that, that, and not to downplay it, but I was thinking, of, I wanted to ask some stupid questions of mine because I actually do want to know. <laughs> yeah. So you're in Nicaragua. What's like, um, what's the scariest moment that happened in this is a great question because I think about it a lot and hindsight is what makes it scary in the moment you just are responding to the situation at hand and uh, yeah being in a country that's poor and then as the population around these villagers started getting wealthier or more people started showing up with wealth that disparity created um, some animosity and and a lot of uh, thievery you know and, so you got robbed? Yeah, a bunch of times. A bunch of times? Oh, yeah. Or just on the street? People no, were... like, not, and I, I don't mean to say, like, at gunpoint or anything like that, but, like, cat burglary and stuff like that, people, like, you could never leave anything out. Like, it would disappear super quick. Like, you couldn't leave your home. You'd always have to have somebody in your home. Really? Um, like, if you would go away for a few days, you'd have to hire another local friend to, like, sleep in your house and, like... Um, Damn. It was just... I mean, so, like, the fear thing, like, in the moments that things unfolded i wasn't afraid but in hindsight like i was like that was probably the gnarliest thing that ever happened you know like yeah. for example one night uh i got a call at like three in the morning from a friend he's like i just got robbed 
Um, can you help? And I was like, sure. Just we're all there, all for one, one for all. So right. jump out of bed <clears throat> and uh, go meet him. And it's me, him, and a Nicaraguan security guard. We're walking around town looking for the thieves. They stole a bunch of computers, like tons of valuables while people were sleeping in the house, like right by bedside tables and shit. Whoa. And so we jump in his car. It's a small village, and there's only two ways into the village. And so we're like out one road, and we kind of are, oh, they, they, we've got to go back. We've got to keep searching for these people. And then the uh, on the way back into town, this, this car, this truck, this uh, uh, Toyota comes flying by us. And I'm like, that's got to be them, dude. Like and like, it's legal to carry in Nicaragua. Like you can get as a resident of Nicaragua, you get a handgun and like legally carry it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, we're armed, and like, I'm not. I wasn't legally allowed to have one, but he was. Yeah. So I was like, "It's on, dude. Like, let's do this. This is why you have a gun. This is what we're about to do. You know, like, let's go get these guys." And Fuck. so we flipped the car, and we just is a full high speed chase through the through the countryside, like following these guys. Like, we're on an open stretch, and we're like probably like. 30 yards behind him. It's full on Sicario type shit. Dude, yeah. Like, again, like you're talking about fear. Like, I'm scared as I tell you this story because it was. I'm scared listening to it. It went so wrong and I'm lucky to be here. So, like, we're like probably like 100 yards behind him and they slam on the brakes. And it's like, dude, there's no, there's no street lights. How fast are you going? Ish. Like 40 miles an hour on dirt, on dirt roads though. Oh. And so they slam on the brakes. We slam on the brakes and we're like maybe 40 feet from their car. And all of a sudden all the doors open up and like the car is full of people and they're the, the whole bed is full of people. So now there's eight people visible that I can see. Everyone's getting in the car and you can tell the leader, he starts walking up towards us. I was like, dude, and this is actually what I said, I'm like, get out and point your gun at him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And so he gets out, points the gun at him and only one guy of the eight put his hands up. The other, everyone else stood their ground and then the leader continued to walk towards us like he wasn't afraid and i was like oh this is fucking not good dude like i genuinely thought that gun was gonna like, <laughs> do, a lot. Sure that would do it. i was gonna do a lot more than that you know and so we're explaining to him like listen we just got robbed because he now we're face to face i'm face to face with this guy my buddy's on the left side of the car with the pistol yeah i'm face to face with this guy i'm explaining in spanish like listen we just got robbed we want to search your car and he's like go ahead and I'm on the phone actually with a friend back in Higante explaining the situation. I'm like, okay, we're surrounded basically by eight dudes. This is how's it gonna go down. We're gonna start searching the car. And uh, so we walk up and again, just like so dumb, dude, like not in control of the situation whatsoever. Like we're surrounded by yeah, human you're beings. Yeah, And uh, so my buddy checks the front seat first and there's a computer right there. The, one of the computers that got stolen, but he didn't recognize it as one of the computers. Oh, shit. And so, and I'm sure like our adrenaline was so pumped at this point, like we weren't seeing straight. And so he's like, all right, the guy convinced that, that was his computer. So we let that one go. And then I, he's like, Chape, check the back. And there was this like big, like gangster looking dude standing by the, the back door. And so I go to open it. He just steps in front of me, just like pushes the door shut. Like you ain't fucking going back there, dude. And we, everyone just gets super still. And yeah. We all look at each other. There's what it was super silent. There wasn't a word said. And me and my friend just slowly started stepping, walking backwards towards the car and just got in our car and let them drive away. <laughs> and like oh, my heart. thinking about like the situation we put ourselves in under oh, the circumstances with like it being just material possessions, but being being the age we were and the mentality that yeah. I mean, there was no there. There's never been any police presence in this village. So it was always police and protect yourself, which yeah. I liked. 
to a certain extent. Not that night. But that night is like, yeah, I was like, fuck, like we were in way over our heads. And coming from California, being American with the whole the gun issues, yeah. Um, I realized very quickly that just because you have a gun doesn't mean shit. Yeah. And unless you know how to use that gun and control a situation, like yeah. fucking have as many guns as you want. Like when it, when shit goes down and you don't know how to use it, like you're fucked, dude. Right. Like we were so fucked. Yeah. Like they could have had an AK in the back in the back of that thing and just lit us up. Lived in Arizona and a bunch of my buddies out there have a just every gun known to man man um, out there, which is really freaking cool. And so we go to this gun range, and you said, you know, you got to know how to use it. And so we had a bunch of forty fives and handguns and stuff like that. And I had seen this thing online where you take a bunch of playing cards and you tape them up there, and then you play poker, you know. And so we did it. And we put it out there at um, at like thirty yards or something like that. And we went through two clips each, so like 10, 20 rounds each. Didn't hit one thing. Moved it closer, moved it closer, moved all the way to the closest freaking one, 10 yards away. So maybe a little bit longer than this little room. We're in standard size room here. And he hit one seven, which he he won with one card, meaning we were that close and Mm -hmm. we couldn't hit shit. So that whole thing, like when you see like John Wick and stuff like that, I love the movies. But if you don't know how to use the fucking gun, it doesn't mean jack shit. You, it is not easy to just like point the gun outside the window and shoot the tire and all that bullshit, dude. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for all of America, but I, I have I had such an inflated sense of self confidence when it came to like this whole cowboy kind of mentality, mm-hmm. especially living in Nicaragua. Like it's rough, you know. It's like third world. People are poor. Like shit goes down. Like we are self sufficient in a lot of ways and yeah. getting shit done. So I was definitely thinking I was way better than I was. And that moment really just put a lot of things into perspective for me. You know, yeah. like, after that, I, I considered getting a gun. But then I realized, like, everybody who's robbed me that I've caught, I knew. Mm-hmm. You know, in town, because they're locals. And I'm affiliated with all their families. And even though I might not like that person, like, I, I love one of their brothers because he works for me. And, like, oh, he's... Okay. And the reality is, for, I think, anybody listening, like, the person that's going to come into your house... 99% of the time is going to be somebody you know. It's yeah. going to be a neighbor kid or a neighbor. If you light that person up, which, you know, everyone's like, well, they're in my private property. Like, I, I should be able to do what I want. Like, yeah. that's going to weigh on you, dude. That's going to be tough. Killing the neighbor's kid because he was, you know, looking for drugs, money to, like, go buy whatever he's addicted to. Yeah. You know, this oxy epidemic. Like, that's probably how it's going to go down. Yeah. And, like, everyone's armed to the teeth, which I'm fine with. Like, I think self-protection, taking responsibility sure. for yourself is important. But I think it's more important that, like, you learn how to use that and the rules of engagement. Yeah. Which, like, when, in hindsight, when we had come to that stopping point and everyone got out, like, definitely should have been one one shot up in the air. Then it's like, we mean business. Everyone get down on the fucking ground. Put your hands, you know, like, right. like a, a police officer would or a right. military. Like, there are rules of engagement, dude. Yeah. And it's like it's very rare that you're going to walk into a situation <clears throat> where it's it's clear on the actions that you need to take. Yeah. You're not usually going to walk into somebody, you know, God forbid, on on the woman you love, right, assaulting her. And it's very clear that like that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, you know that uh that guy that got out of that truck in after your uh, your friend pulled out the gun, the guy kept kept walking. Those are the people that scare the fuck out of me. I'll never forget. <clears throat> Like, 
I'm a big UFC fan, been big mm. big boxing fan growing up, and then um, still a boxing fan, but more UFC now. And I was down in Huntington Beach, like right uh, 2002, 2003, like right when UFC started. This guy and I was talking to these girls. We were at this table and this other table here, and these guys started to like kind of get into it. And I saw this guy. You know, he had the big cauliflower ear, and they had the tap out shirt on, and you know whatever and i'm just like kind of talking and then they start to really get heated and then this one guy i'll never fucking forget this one, one guy goes to his buddy he goes hey let's fuck this guy up you know and uh the guy with the cauliflower ear goes you're gonna need a few more guys i went oh shit <laughs> <laughs> i was like that guy would freak me out just that that calmness and that stillness for that that dude to be like you're gonna need more guys or that guy to be like yeah i see oh, yeah, you just mean, keep walking those people are the people that you need to fucking worry about and we and again hindsight like oh. thinking back like he was real that guy was a real deal like that guy probably had weapons in the car it did turn out because we got private investigators involved uh to help us find our shit and he was a leader of a like a national robbery ring that, yeah. he, that had oh, been under man. investigation and what they would do is once a year they would bring their best cat burglars out to all these rural villages where westerners had been residing and had a lot of stuff and they would just go through town and every single house they would break into steal all their shit and then they'd go back with a horde no he was a real gangster like yeah. that guy was the real deal and we were in way over our heads oh, with that human being and lucky that we came out the way we did with with no oh, bodily harm you know fucking a man ah so, because I mean, I don't know what that guy has done to other people in the past, but like, I have no doubt, like, cornered. If we had cornered him, he probably would have not been happy with that. Right. Guy, you know? Oh. So, yeah, scariest moments. That was, that's one that I, I'm haunted by and think about when people ask me that question. Yeah. But I'd say overall, to give people a perspective of Nicaraguan, Nicaraguans are extremely nice people, yeah. very kind, loving, helpful people. Um, the country itself is beautiful, well worth going. The media sensationalizes a lot of things. So although there was a little bit of upheaval and it is a corrupt government, I think it's still a tremendously safe place yeah. and worthwhile going to because it's absolutely gorgeous and just cool. Yeah. I'll I'll say I'm I've never I've been very fortunate or lucky to to travel, not nearly as much as you, but I I say this all, all the time. I am convinced that on the planet of people, 99% of the individuals are good people. Meaning, as long as you're not a fucking douche, you're not being an asshole, you, and I notice for me, if you at least try to speak the language, at least something, at least to give some sort of effort into, because you're in their, their neighborhood, you're not in yours, you're not, don't be an asshole and go, oh, you should just know, know English or whatever it is. Um, just try to be on, in their culture, Everybody will help you. I've never been, I've been fucked with a little bit here and a little bit there, but you're going to give, I've been fucked with here in Newport Beach, you know, it's the, one of the wealthiest places in the world, you know, just, it is what it is. But 99% of the people I'm convinced are fucking good. As long as you're not a piece of shit and trying to be an asshole or arrogant or buy cocaine down a dark alley at night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'll put you in an awkward situation. Yeah. Been there in Panama. Been there in Panama. That was, that was funny. I agree 100%. I think the world is genuinely kind and good. Um, but there are instances, and everyone can point them out, yep. where someone got unlucky. Yep. And it's just the luck of the draw. Yeah. You know, stray bullet, walking down the wrong street, being in a bank at the wrong time, and the wrong, like, yeah. it happens. And the thing is, it's just a law of averages. I mean, if mm-hmm. you think about how many 
places and people that you've seen outside of where you grew up here, mm -hmm. the percentage of, of that type of action happening is so tiny. It's mm -hmm. not even a percent. You know, it's fractions of, of a percent. And it's in isolated locations. And this right. is this is a conversation I have a lot of people just with this, like, you know, this Guatemala, Honduras, you know, people trying to come into America because they're under siege with all the gang warfare in these countries. It's like, no, that's actually not true because I have a lot of friends who are in Guatemala right now, a lot of friends who are in Honduras right now. It's isolated places, mm -hmm. and it's just like going to South Central, you know, or places Good similar. Analogy. You know, it's yeah. like... You can land in these countries that have issues and be completely safe and completely fine as long as you use common sense. Yep. And, yeah, you're not trying to buy drugs in the wrong areas or you're trying to, like, prove something and yeah. and go, like, you know, convert these people into, like, you know, evangelicals or whatever. Right, like, right. In, like, yeah, super yeah. gnarly ghettos, dude. Like, just yeah. be smart. Yeah, in just a tactical thing, if – for me, or at least the how I think about it, or the things that I've always done, is that if you are going to go to a developing country or third world country, don't walk down there with your Rolex or or you know the missus with her diamond ring on. I mean, but you go, Josh Chapin, you said it, you said it was safe. Yes, it's safe, but you also don't have to wear a, a big shirt that says, "Hey, I have five thousand dollars on my on my ring or twenty thousand dollars on my yeah, wrist." You wouldn't walk through South Central wearing yeah. a Rolex. Yeah, absolutely not. So, I mean, that's the other thing. So, like when I, not to make this in like a travel tip thing, but I just go and I have white and black T-shirts and wear jeans or like some hiking pants and mm -hmm. then some hats and stuff like that, and that's that's about it. I don't wear watches. My wedding ring is just a little black thing mm -hmm. you know my wife she just wears a little takes off the diamond leaves that at home and wears a little silver heart thing and then that that's it she's not wearing her red bottom shoes and <laughs> bucket all that type of stuff and then just be nice yeah just a smile be nice. a smile will take you a million miles yeah just fucking be nice because i've had people actually say you're in the wrong area let me help you get out of here right now yeah. You know, like they, they, I wandered in the wrong area, not really knowing, just being interested during the daytime. Yeah. And they just come up very politely, said, Hey, you're in the wrong area. Let me, let me show you how to get out of here. Yeah. You just go back up to that street, take a left, and like two blocks down, you're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so people are always looking out too. Like we said, right. it's like 99% of people are, even if you're in a bad area, going to help you out. Yeah. You I know? think so too. I think so too. Well, cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate you go going through through that. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I could talk all day about Nicaraguan adventures and just life and this stuff too. Like, I love I love what you're doing, overcoming you, because I think it is an important topic to talk about. There's a yeah. lot of uh, things that are going on within us always that we need to be addressed. That I think in our society and culture, like it's not comfortable, especially for males to talk about. You know, right? Like, yeah, I'd love to talk about my feelings more. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's true. It's something that I've always felt pretty comfortable with, but never had an outlet for. And I mean, I have a great therapist, and I've been with yeah. her since I was fifteen. And like, nice. I do check ins all the time. And like, when I when things are really kind of spinning out of control, I I can call her once a week, and she's always there for me. Yeah. You know? Well, cool. I really appreciate you talking to me and kind of going over some of that stuff. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate what you're doing, man. I think overcoming you is something that everyone needs to hear and needs to challenge himself with. And I think challenging yourself is a way that you can really learn more about yourself. And, you know, if you're not traveling, that's fine. But within your daily, give yourself a challenge because yeah. you're going to learn a lot. And, and that learning process is something that's going to take you to a level a lot sooner than just doing the, the, the routine that you've always been comfortable with. you know? Yep. Yeah. Bob Dylan has a great line um, that I love. He goes, you have to always be in a constant state of becoming. 
Mm. Once again, uh, Misfits Rejects. Um, how often does that come out? So yeah, Misfits and Rejects comes out every Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. It's a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. You get to hear about the cast of characters I meet all around the world that uh, have taken that first step into the unknown and challenged themselves in ways that I think a lot of you are going to be tremendously inspired by because we got people who've shipwrecked in places and never Mm -hmm. returned. We got people who spent 10 years in prison in Zimbabwe that found enlightenment. Like we got some characters who've done some crazy things that I think will inspire you to maybe think about your life situation and take that first step into the unknown. Yep. It's a great, great podcast. I love the people they have on there. Um, what's your is it? What's your Instagram? Or you have an email? Yeah, what's Misfits and Rejects on Instagram, and you can always reach out to me, Chapin at Misfits and Rejects Cool. Thanks, man. Thank Cheers. you, brother. Cheers.